Hello, this is Andy, and you're listening to Federal Andy. Episode 73, How Federal Laws Are Made. I've seen quite a few comments on social media in the last week or so. Once the new House of Representatives got its act together to some degree where they could actually start supposed to be doing the business of the people, but they're pretty much doing the business of the wealthy people and retaliation to the Democrats for investigating crimes that their fellow Republicans have done during the Trump era. So that's kind of what they're doing right now. But partly because of the tweets that I'm seeing from the the GOP, their official official Twitter account, and some of the House members who are Republicans who regularly distribute BS information through their tweets, has caused a little bit of concern among the folks who read these tweets. So, for instance, you would see a tweet about they're going to get rid of the IRS or they're going to do whatever. And the way it's presented is, uh, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to vote on this. It's going to pass and it's going to be a done deal. Not so fast. I think we need to have a discussion about how federal laws are made in this country. And I realize that there are a lot of people out there who never took a civics class in school. And in civics, you learn about the government and how it works, how it's supposed to work, how bills are made into law the hierarchy of the different positions in government and things like that. I took civics in seventh grade when I was in junior high school. And I've asked other people if they can recall taking civics when they were in school and some of them indicated seventh grade also. But of course the Republicans do not want a well-educated population in the in the country. And that's pretty evident by the fact that they don't support public education. They want uh, money to go to these private schools where they can pick and choose the type of people, uh, the type of students that they can have because, you know, they really don't want any well, poor people, and they don't want students that have same-sex parents 
or, well, whatever, you know, people that don't have a certain skin color, things like that. And, of course, if you're poor, well, too bad. You don't belong. So the reason for that is because they want people to react the way a lot of people are reacting. So when they have a representative who obviously, the choice is the representative knows they're lying to their constituents by posting this, or they're totally clueless as well, which makes you wonder what in the heck are they doing in Congress if they don't know how this stuff is supposed to work. So it's hard to tell because (laughs) it's pretty obvious to me that a lot of these folks are not interested in legislating. A lot of them do not want to govern. A lot of them seem to hate government. And they're more in it for the show. They want to be on TV. They want coverage in the media. It's kind of like a big ego inflator. And the bottom line is, it shouldn't be about them at all. It should be about you and me. The the we, the people part. And of course, they're included in that we, the people thing. But... They can't do it based on what's best just for them if it's not good for the majority. They kind of have to be bigger than that. And unfortunately, it's pretty obvious that these people are not bigger than that. So, in this podcast, this episode, I'm going to talk about the basics, just the very basics of how federal laws are made so that next time... You're on Twitter or Facebook and you see one of these. (laughs) I still need to find a better word that I can actually use. One of these. uh, I'm just going to say idiots because I think that's what I think of when I think of the Republican Party. I think they're a bunch of idiots. Uh, When I see when they when you see these idiots posting this stuff about, oh, we passed so and so you can. You know, kiss the IRS goodbye. Uh, you can say, yeah, no, not going to happen. And you don't need to be so upset about some of this stuff. So let's talk a little bit about how federal laws are made in the United States of America. So, how are federal laws made? I'll start off by stating that we have three branches of government here in the United States of America, and these are defined by the Constitution. We have the executive branch, that's the president and the various departments and uh, uh, entities that exist under his uh, supervision. Uh, He doesn't really control some of them because they're kind of individually functioning, but they fit underneath the executive branch. Then we have the legislative branch, which is the Congress. 
the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. And that uh, those two work together and they're the legislative branch. They are the ones that write the bills that have to go through a procedure in Congress and they have to move through the executive branch also before they are enacted into law. And we also have the judicial branch. This is the court system, the, the Supreme Court, the circuit courts, etc. And these three branches, and yes, Mark Wayne Mullen, Senator from Oklahoma, when you were the representative from Oklahoma, you said that there were four branches of government. I think he let something slip because in a lot of Republicans' minds, there's a corporate branch of government, and that's where they take their orders from. But <laughs> he said the part out loud that you're not supposed to say if you're a Republican, apparently. Anyway, just three. And they're what is known as co-equal branches. In other words, they're equal. One of them doesn't have more power than the other. And this was done to create a balance. Now, there are some exceptions to, way that this, to the way that this works. The president does have veto power over Congress, and I'll discuss that in a minute. And at the same time, Congress can provide a check on the president if he vetoes something that they have sent to him or her by voting to override his or her veto. And of course, the court system, the, the judicial system, can look at bills that have been enacted into law and sometimes like the Supreme Court will determine it's not constitutional or they may <laughs> do what we've got right now and just decide, oh, the heck with it. We're just going to, you know, we are, our religious beliefs override everything else and we're just going to throw this out. And interestingly enough, <laughs> there's nothing that really says that the Supreme Court has the authority to do that. The Supreme Court gave itself the authority to make changes like that. And there have been instances in the past where the president of the United States was like, eh, I don't care what the Supreme Court says, we ain't doing it. But that's another podcast. So how federal laws are made. So we've got the three branches of government. Congress is the legislative branch of the federal government, and it creates the laws for the country. And there's two legislative bodies, or chambers as they call them, the U.S. Senate, which is considered the upper chamber, and the U.S. House of Representatives, which is considered the lower chamber. When a senator is elected for office in the U.S. Senate, it is a six-year term. And the U.S. House of Representatives uh, are all two-year terms. So, and the entire House has to be re-elected every two years. And anyone who is in the U.S. House of Representatives or in the U.S. Senate can propose new laws. 
And the, that is called, that process is called a bill, initiates the process for creating a new law. And typically a bill starts off in a senator's or representative's office. And sometimes, as we have learned, lobbyists will write these bills essentially for the senator or the representative, which, of course, really should not happen. Lobbyists are supposed to serve a purpose to uh, provide balance to the senator or the representative, the, the normally the, the corporate point of view, but lobbyists can also work for nonprofit organizations. So there might be an environmental group that would hire a lobbyist to say, we need to rein in the fossil fuels uh, companies because they're polluting the air or whatever. But Theoretically, a bill should be initiated by a senator or representative, usually uh, staff that they have working for them would start doing the research and, and writing the bill, and they have legal people that can check to make sure that there aren't any legal uh, ramifications to the bill, and if so, get those straightened out. Sometimes these uh, representatives, for instance, can go to another member in their chamber and get them to sign on as a co-sponsor of this bill. And the more co-sponsors you have, I think overall, the better chance that bill is going to have of passing. Because it basically says, gee, see, a lot of your peers here in this chamber want this. So a bill can be initiated in either chamber, the Senate or the House. And once a bill is introduced, it is typically assigned to a committee. And this committee has various members who are also in the same chamber. And the committee will look at it and they'll do some research and they will discuss it amongst themselves. And if they find that there are any issues, they will try to work them out among the committee members. And they might actually make changes to the bill. And then once that is completed, the chair of the committee will decide to allow that bill to be uh, presented to the, uh, uh, you know, the Speaker of the House or the Senate leader. And that person or will then decide if the bill will be put before that chamber to be voted on by the entire membership. So there's a couple of things that could hold it up. Sometimes in committees, it can take a very long time to work through a bill. And sometimes the committee may get the bill worked, but the chair may not like the bill, and they can kind of sit on it and not present it to the speaker or to the Senate leader. And sometimes the speaker or the Senate leader 
may not want to move on it. You might recall that during the last Congress, the 117th Congress, uh, well, there have been others too, but the House has passed a lot of bills. Nancy Pelosi was the Democratic uh, Speaker of the House, and the Democrats had the House of Representatives. They passed hundreds of bills in recent years that went to the Senate and sat on Mitch McConnell, who was the Senate leader, the Republican, sat on his desk and never went anywhere. They just died, which seems like a lot of waste of time and money, right? But you never know if they're going to do anything with it or not. But he, he was not interested in those bills going to the floor of the Senate, so they died. So the Speaker of the House or the and or the leader of the Senate, um, either one, whoever gets it first, uh, can kind of basically kill it as well. That's why these people are very important. When you vote, you need to kind of look at <laughs> the big picture. So, but if they, if they think it's a good bill, they can put it before that uh, chamber, put it to the floor to be voted on by all of the members. So once that bill passes either the House or the Senate, it will be sent to the other chamber, and it will go through basically the same process again. It will um, probably go to a committee, and they will research it, and they will discuss it, and they will debate it, and they might make some changes to it, and then the uh, chair will decide if it goes to the leader or the speaker, and then the leader or speaker can put it before that chamber to be voted on as well. So once both of the chambers have uh, voted to accept a bill, if there were changes made to the bill, and there almost always are some changes, they have to work out the differences between the House bill and the Senate bill. So the House and the Senate kind of have to work together to get these differences figured out and make the two versions into one version. And then once that happens, both of the chambers once again have to vote on the bill and pass it. So a, a bill almost has to go through like three different procedures or four actually because it's got to it's got to pass the committee, the committee chair, the speaker or the senate leader and then it's got to go through uh the other chamber and go through the same thing again. So it's it's that's why it takes a long time to get some of this stuff through. That and the fact that you know <laughs> Members in Congress have a lot of time off so that they can theoretically travel back home to visit with their constituents, although a lot of them don't ever bother to even have town halls, from what I understand. And, of course, a lot of them spend a lot of time campaigning. And when they're campaigning, they are not working for you. They're working for themselves. So uh, once the bill has been passed by both chambers, 
it is then sent to the President of the United States. And the President of the United States then will consider the bill. The President can approve the bill and sign it into law, or they can not approve the bill, and that is known as a veto. And when the president vetoes a bill, there are basically two different ways it can be done. The president basically has the right to refuse to approve a bill or a joint resolution. And if they do that, that prevents it from being enacted into law. And that's what they call a veto. That's the process. The president basically has 10 days, and that does not include Sundays, and I don't think it includes holidays either. Maybe it is just Sundays, but I think holidays are included as well, but maybe not. Anyway, president has 10 days to sign a bill passed by Congress, and there's what is known as a regular veto, and that is when the president basically returns the legislation to whichever chamber in Congress originated the bill. So if, if a member of the House of Representatives initiated writing the bill, it would be returned back to the House of Representatives. And if it was a senator who wrote the bill and initiated its process through the system, it would be sent back to the Senate. And Typically, there's a message from the president explaining why he or her, why he or she, why he or her, why he or she vetoed the bill. Now, if Congress really, really wants this bill to pass, they can override the veto by a two-thirds vote in both Chambers of Congress, the House and the Senate, both have to have two-thirds of the members vote to override the presidential veto. If that happens, the bill becomes law, even though the president objected to it and said that they didn't want it to become law. Now, there's also a pocket veto, and that is when Congress adjourns during the 10-day period that the president has to sign the bill. In that instance, the president can't return the bill back to Congress because they have adjourned. So the president can decide not to sign the legislation, and that becomes a pocket veto, and because the Congress had adjourned and the president doesn't have the ability to send it back to Congress, uh, the Congress doesn't have the ability to override that particular bill, so it just kind of gets vetoed. So that is um, that's basically how bills pass through the system. So right now, the Republicans have control of the House, and they have, I believe, a 10-member majority in the House. I believe, if I'm 
I think I'm correct on this, 222 members are Republicans and 212 are Democrats. So a 10-member majority. So when the folks in the Republican Party, whether they are members of the party itself in, in the, you know, like the Republican National Committee, or whether they're actually members uh, in one of the chambers of Congress, and typically it's been the House members so far, brag about, oh, you know, we just passed a bill to kill the IRS. You know, we're going to do away with them. They're going to just cease to exist. Well, and <laughs> obviously that opens up a whole bunch of problems. But that bill now has to be sent to the Senate, which is controlled by the Democrats. And chances are that that is not going to pass the Senate. And when it doesn't pass the Senate, guess what, folks? It's dead. And Charles Schumer is, uh, you know, uh, you know the, or the people that are, you know, the Senate may just decide, well, we're not going to even do anything about it. You know, it could just sit like Mitch McConnell did with a whole bunch of bills that came over from the House. He just put it in, I don't know, file 13, you know, just right into the trash or essentially the trash because it doesn't go anywhere after that. So it may not even make it to the floor. The Senate leader may just say, this is garbage. We don't have time in the Senate to waste on this stuff. So boom. Or maybe it goes to a vote, at which point it is probably voted down, and that's it, dead. If by some crazy circumstance it should pass the Senate, then it has to go to President Biden. And President Biden has already come on record saying he's not going to, he'll veto some of these crazy bills coming from the House. So once he vetoes it, it'll get sent back to the House, at which point the House is going to have to come up with two-thirds of its membership to vote to override the veto. And then it has to go to the Senate, and they got to come up with two-thirds there to override Biden's veto. And that is just not going to happen. So when they send these bills over to cut Social Security, when they send these bills over to cut Medicare, <laughs> uh, they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to pass the Senate, and they're certainly not going to pass President Biden. And he is, as I said, already on record as saying, this stuff is going to get vetoed if it comes to my desk, which you would think might just be a message to the House that maybe they should not waste their time and taxpayer money trying to get this stuff done because it's costing taxpayers money. These people earn $174,000 a year, and <laughs> how many days are they going to spend on this stuff when there are things that they could be working on? Immigration, for instance, yeah, uh, maybe uh, addressing the fact that we have a lot of people that live in poverty in the United States. Maybe they could figure out a way to uh, relieve that. 
you know, do something for we the people instead of we the corporations who basically have bought and paid for you, Senator, or you, Representative. So don't be too alarmed at what you hear coming from the House because they don't have the final say in it. And that pretty much puts an end to a lot of the uh, a lot of their rhetoric about the things that they've accomplished because <laughs> all they've done is passed it in one of the entities out of three that have to approve of it. And the other two aren't going to approve. So we have discussed how bills are initiated, how they have to go through committees, committee chair then sends the bill to the top person in one of the chambers of Congress. And everything has to be approved by both chambers. The bill, if it was changed, has to be approved with no changes by both houses. And it is possible that a bill could originate in the House, go to the Senate, the Senate could make changes to it, then it has to go back to the House. The House then makes changes to that bill, votes on it again, sends it back to the Senate. They can go back and forth a few times. But eventually, they have to have the exact same bill, same version, no changes, agreed on and voted by both the House and the Senate, and then that bill is the one that goes to the president. It has to be the exact same bill. Can't be, even if it's a minor change, that's no deal. Now, there's one issue that has been mentioned with this new rogue Republican House majority. And that is, they basically want to hold the people of the United States of America and the faith, full faith and the credit of the country hostage in order to get what they want. There's this thing called the debt ceiling. And it is basically a point where the debt of the United States of America cannot go past that level without being approved. And since the House controls the pocketbook for the country, the House has the power to say, we are not going to raise the debt ceiling unless we get concessions. And in this case, what they're wanting to do probably, uh, at least it's been rumored, is they want cuts to the military. Specifically, <laughs> they don't want to support Ukraine, which is, of course, the country that has now been invaded by Russia. 
They don't want to support that any longer. And they want to cut what they call entitlement programs, which are things like Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, well, Medicaid may not be in that, but who knows? Social Security and other things. And what they're going to say is, uh, unless you do this, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling, which means there is no additional money for the United States to pay its bills. So that means people on Social Security will not get their Social Security checks. Uh, employees of the government may not get paychecks. Various entities within the government, the parks and things like that may have to shut down. This has happened before. Again, thank you to the Republicans for doing this. The last time they pulled this little stunt, it caused the credit rating of the United States to be dropped, which means the interest that we pay on stuff goes up. So they just cost taxpayers more money. So much for being fiscally conservative. Anybody that has listened to this podcast or paid attention to what the Republicans are actually doing instead of what they're saying knows that they are not fiscally conservative. Not at all. So that's what they're threatening to do again. Now, President Biden could basically just tell the Treasury to ignore the debt ceiling, ignore this garbage from the Republicans, keep paying the bills. Let them take us to court. And they'll have to basically, I guess, sue. Uh, they will tell you, oh, well, that will cause a constitutional crisis. No, what causes the constitutional crisis is the fact that we've got a bunch of people who <laughs> aided and abetted the insurrection attempt to overthrow the United States government back on January 6th, the 2021, and they're still sitting in Congress today. That's a coup, and that's definitely against the Constitution. And, you know, uh, in the past, I believe people have been put to death for that kind of stuff. So that's the constitutional crisis, is that we have had an attempted coup, and the people who helped cover it up and lied about it pretended that the election was rigged, are many of them are still in Congress right now. And knowing that there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever to show that the election in 2020 was rigged or corrupt in any way, they voted against accepting the electoral vote when Vice President Pence presented it in the Senate. And in the House, as far as that goes, everybody voted against all of this stuff. So that's a problem, and that's a constitutional crisis. So keep in mind, when the Republicans say that they want to do this, uh, understand that they're holding you and me and the majority of the American people and the entire country hostage in their attempt to cover up, number one, to cover up their crimes, 
you know, I, I'm not a big military person. Yes, I understand that we have a need for military. I would not mind seeing the military budget cut, but I don't want it cut when it comes to helping democratically democratic countries. Uh, Ukraine does have a democratically elected government, and they are being invaded by an authoritarian by the name of Vladimir Putin. I think, from what I understand, most of the Russian people who are informed as to what's actually going on do not support Vladimir Putin. They don't like what's going on, and they are losing a lot of family members over in Russia right now. Now, why any patriotic American would not want to help Ukraine is beyond me. Vladimir Putin has already done this with Crimea, and he will continue to do it. He's already said Moldova is next. Once he gets Ukraine, he wants Moldova. What's next? Eventually, he's going to do something that's going to create a problem for one of our NATO partners, and NATO's agreement is that if one of our partners is uh, involved in a uh, con uh, you know, confrontation of this nature, all of the other NATO member nations go in to help. So we're going to get drug into a war, like it or not, if that's allowed to happen. Better to help Ukraine run the Russians out of their country and tell Vlad that he needs to focus on his own country, which there's a lot of people in Russia that are hurting. <laughs> so he's not helping them all this money that they're spending on the military. Gosh, he could do something with that to help his own people, but authoritarians don't want to do that. And these Republicans that we have in the House of Representatives right now, and some of them in the Senate, want an authoritarian regime here in the United States. They wanted Donald Trump to basically be a dictator over us, and they wanted to kill democracy. So keep that in mind when you see these people posting. They've all violated the Constitution, and they don't. They're not patriotic. They're not Americans. They're full of hate, and they're trying to tear the country apart. So we need to make sure we get the message out to everybody that two years from now, these jokers, if they haven't been arrested by the Department of Justice for their crimes, they need to be voted out of their seats. So. That's what we uh, are looking at right now. We don't need to worry about these bills coming out of the House. If they're crazy, they're probably not going to make it through the Senate. Their chances are highly likely they will not make it through the Senate. But if they do, uh, chances are pretty good that Joe Biden is going to veto them and send them back. And there's no way they're going to get two-thirds of both, both houses of Congress to get them passed. So don't worry about it when they start posting it. Tell them, <laughs> got to go to the Senate. It's got to go to Biden. Ain't going to happen. Why don't you do something that will actually help the people that could pass? Like sit down and write an immigration reform bill that fixes the immigration problem. I'm pretty sure if they could get a bipartisan bill, 
that would really fix the immigration situation, they could probably get it passed. And that would be a big feather in their cap, but they don't want to do that. Instead, they want to cut Social Security, which is one of the most honored and uh, beloved programs in the United States. And it has been for years. What do they think their elderly voters and families who all of a sudden are going to have parents and grandparents who can't live anymore and are going to have to move in with them? Do you think that they're going to continue to get their votes? I don't think so. I would hope not, but there are some pretty clueless American voters. Anyway, that's it for today. That's our lesson in uh, how a federal law is made. And it was in very simplistic terms. I wanted to try to keep it as simple as possible. And I've got other podcasts coming up. I'm going to do a podcast on the debt ceiling. And I'm going to do a podcast about discharge. You know, discharges can be really bad. <laughs> but it's not the kind of discharge you're probably thinking. Or uh, maybe it is. We'll see. Anyway, should have another uh, podcast coming out maybe later today or tomorrow. Thank you for your time. I hope you have a good day, unless you have other plans. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at Federal Andy, and I'd be really grateful if you would follow me. I usually follow back. Be happy, safe, and healthy, and I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week. Mm-hmm.